Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. I have the privilege of leading alongside of my wife, Lee. We're glad that you are with us, whether you're uh, in the room or if you're engaging online. I I love even as we sang that song and we're reminding ourselves of who we are and who God is, it reminds us of a a real central truth. and, And I hope every single Sunday, if you're here, that that you understand that, that we don't just follow the way of Jesus to somehow earn anything, but because God has called us his sons and his daughters and loves us and calls us forward, that we have power not because of our own strength, but our weakness submitted to him. And, and so I, I love even, I loved, I was standing up and I could hear the chorus of voices behind and I was thinking like this is what this should be as we lift high God's name and direct our attention on what matters. Uh, We've been working through a series called The Way of Jesus, where we're going chapter by chapter through the book of Luke. There are four different, what we call gospels, four different accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we're nearing the end of Luke. And and I just, I want to encourage you, if you haven't Uh, We have a journal that's on our website that encourages you to actually work through it on your own because I can hit a small section, but I want you to know that God wants to speak to you the whole week, that God wants through his word to draw close to you, not just on a Sunday, not just when we worship, but in every ordinary moment of your day. Uh, I remember when I was little, I was, I think, eight or nine, and we lived in a place called LaSalle, so a suburb of Windsor. And we lived in a, in, a, in a subdivision. Now, if you live in a subdivision, uh, especially then, all the houses seemed to look exactly the same. They all looked exactly the same, except there was this one house that was huge. And I remember driving with my dad, and I was like eight or nine, and I said to him, Dad, those people must have a ton of money. They must be loaded. And my dad decided to teach me an invaluable lesson. And he's like, you know, you can look at someone with a a big house and nice cars, but just because they have those things doesn't mean they have a lot of money. Some people that have that actually just have a lot of debt. And they have very little left over. My dad taught me a really important lesson, especially when it comes to, to money, that perception is not reality. So often we live in a place where we think perception is reality, but perception is not reality. I want us to look at a passage where Jesus is talking about perception versus reality when it comes to someone with their money. But before I do, let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments that you would be the one that speaks, that it wouldn't be about me and my ideas and my thoughts and my plans and all the research I did, that instead that you would break in. God, thank you that we are empowered by you. Thank you that you are the one that goes before us, loves us, cares for us, that you are in control even when we don't see it. 
God, you know each one of us and what we come in with. You know the hesitation, you know the wounding, you know the, the struggles, you know the celebrations, you see all of it. God, remind us that you see us, that you love us. Draw us close. God, I need you. We need you. Pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. I want to read from Luke 21, 1 to 4. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It'll be up on the screen, but if you have your phone and you're not tempted to start playing Candy Crush while you're listening to me, uh, go ahead and you can, you can open it. Luke 21, 1 to 4. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Okay, so Jesus is at the temple. Now, the temple in our equivalent in 2022, for those of us who are Christians, is the local church. There are a group of people that weekly would go to the temple to give their offerings and their sacrifices. This was a regular part. And for us, it's going to the local church. If you would call collective church your home, it's coming to collective church. That is like when we gather in the temple where God is present. It's, it's a little different because it's not like this is this ornate building. We believe that God is present with us. But in the same way as the Jewish people would go to the temple and consistently remind themselves of who God is, this is what we get to do as Christians. And so he sees a group of people who are giving to the temple. And he sees everything. It's important that you know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is a member of the Trinity. He is, in fact, God. And he sees everything. Jesus sees beyond the surface level and he sees what's happening below the surface. So in this case, he sees the people that are giving. And the truth is, for those of us who would call ourselves Jesus followers, he sees what we give. He sees us. He sees how we handle our money. And so rich people are dropping their gifts off. And then in verse 2, a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. This woman was a widow, and she came and she dropped in two small coins. In other translations, it's two mites, which roughly represented one penny. We don't even have those anymore. One cent that she dropped off in the collection. Now, I, I don't think I have to say it, but th this is not a large amount. If someone's taking a penny, it's not like you look from the outside and go, man, that is a huge amount. And yet, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. There are multiple times throughout Scripture that Jesus says something and the disciples are like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking? And, and sometimes what we do is we, we know the answer, so we're like, I would never do that. But the truth is that you go, okay, wait, Jesus, um, I took math, it was a while ago, but I'm pretty confident that one penny is not more than whatever the other people gave. I'm pretty sure what you're saying does not make sense. How, how can a penny be more than what the rich people are giving? 
And, and we have to continually remind ourselves when we're looking at the words of Jesus and the actions of Jesus that, that Jesus doesn't see like we do. He doesn't perceive in the same way as we do. We see impartially. We see little bits. But Jesus being the Son of God and God sees all of it. He sees below what other people would see. And so Jesus uses this moment to teach his disciples and to teach us a powerful truth about generosity. When it comes to generosity, it is not the amount, it is the percentage. It is not the amount. The amount is not the thing that we celebrate. It is instead the, the, the percentage that he is celebrating. The amount wasn't the thing that they're going like, wow, look at that, the penny. They laid down that penny. It was a shiny penny and had so much value. No, it wasn't the penny itself. It wasn't the two mites. Instead, it was what it represented. Jesus says in verse 4, For they have given, speaking of the rich people, they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but poor as she is, has given, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Jesus is reminding us, reminding his disciples that when it comes to generosity and it comes to giving, it is not equal amount, it is equal sacrifice. It is not equal amount, it is equal sacrifice. This is why there's the brilliance of, if, if you wouldn't call yourself a Jesus follower, the expectation of, is, is not for you. But if you would, this is the brilliance of what, what we know as the tithe. The word tithe literally means tenth. And there's this biblical principle in the Old Testament that speaks of the tithe, and then Jesus in the New Testament that, that reinforces the tithe. The idea that we give 10%, and the invitation and challenge from God is that we would give 10% of our income back to God through the local church through the temple, that we give 10% of what we were given by God back to him. And connected to that principle of the tithe is the principle of first fruits. The idea that we don't just give 10% off the end, that we give 10% from the beginning, the very best of what we have. We give back to God what is the best, the first and foremost. We set him as our priority. And I want you to think about it in light of that. If generosity is defined by not equal amount but equal sacrifice, then something like 10% as a principle makes a ton of sense. That God is not saying all of you need to give everything. He is saying that we need to sacrifice as God's people. And Jesus is contrasting the rich people who have given from their surplus to this widow who, have give, who has given from everything that she had. I want you to picture the, even the metaphor. It's like if we were having Jesus over for supper. And we're having Jesus over, and he's like, I'm going to come over. We have adequate notice. And he rolls in on a Thursday evening, and we're like, Jesus, I've got some uh, week-old craft dinner uh, in the fridge, but I'll nuke it up, and it'll be pretty good. Like the rich people, that's functionally what they're doing. They're like, hey, um, I don't know, I got some like surprise something in the fridge that we didn't eat this week and you can have that, you can have that. Where the widow, what she did is she's like grabbing everything out of her fridge and going, I want the full spread, Jesus is coming over. 
It's a very different perspective. Giving our leftovers to God, saying like, you can have my leftovers, you can have what's left over once I'm done with it. Like, it's like I do that with my dog, where I'm like, you can have what we don't eat. And functionally, that's sometimes what we do with God. We're like, you can have what is left over. And when it comes to tithing, it's important that we recognize that it is a priority for us to give to God first. That we give God our best. That we give God from what we have been given and we give it back to him willingly. God is important. And when we do that, we place him as priority. That he deserves more than everyone else, including us. And the truth is that the reality of giving 10% of our income is a sacrifice. For those of us who would call ourselves a Jesus follower, I don't care whether you make 10,000, 100,000, or some, maybe you make a million dollars, 10% is a lot of money. That's why it's about equal sacrifice, not equal amount. Because no matter what, you go 10%, that represents a lot. And and I want to just reinforce and encourage, if you do not call yourself a Jesus follower, if if you haven't given your life over to Jesus, this is not an expectation for you. This is not one of those things where it's like you came for the first time and you're like, well, church is talking about money. This is an expectation for those of us who are growing as followers of the way of Jesus. Those of us who want to become disciples and be more and more like Jesus. This is the invitation that he gives to us. This is the challenge that he gives to us. In this case, this widow gave sacrificially. She gave something that appeared to be insignificant and yet was profoundly significant. When I do research for my sermons, I look at a bunch of commentaries and then I'll read some books and sometimes I'll check just to make sure, okay, I'm seeing this and sometimes it's like, wow, that's way off and and so my, my last thing that I go to is I'll go to Google and I'll just search a couple of things. And it was funny because I was searching this story this week. And one of the top results on Google was saying, we've got it wrong. This is not celebrating. This is not Jesus celebrating this woman and her offering. Instead, this is Jesus looking at what she did and saying that was poor stewardship. Now, the problem with that is on the outside, you kind of go like, well, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's right. But it doesn't line up with the way of Jesus and Scripture. Because earlier in Luke, there is this woman. She's sinful and she is a mess. And Jesus comes into a room and she takes this really expensive perfume and she pours it all over him. And then she's crying and wiping his feet with her tears. This is an extravagant move. And all the religious leaders at the time were like, I can't believe that she would be so careless. Do you know how much money that represents? How could she be so careless with her stuff? She could use it. And yet, what Jesus tells us is that that symbolic gesture of laying down all your stuff that seems to be expensive was an indication of how much she loved him. And so if we're to look at the widow and go like, I don't think it actually means that. It does not line up. And just as an aside, if you you are ever searching, like the reality is if you want to find and make the Bible say something, if you hang out on the internet long enough, you'll be able to do that. Because you'll find stuff and you're like, well, this one random person on Reddit 17 years ago who lives in his basement said that this is not what it means. 
But if thousands of years of church history and scholars and people that love Jesus are saying one thing and a few people are going like, nah, you can almost always assume they are wrong. That's not to say we don't ever want to look at what we believe. We do. We want to deconstruct even sometimes with the Bible. We want to deconstruct our worldview with the Bible. We never want our Bible to be deconstructed by our worldview. We don't ever want to look for the Bible to say what we think it should say. Uh, I don't really like that this woman gave her two mites. I would like to not give anything. And so I like this guy's article. It doesn't work like that. This is not the way of Jesus. C.S. Lewis, who is an author, maybe maybe you know him from Chronicles of Narnia. He is a profound author not just of fiction, but of theological books. He came to faith later on in life, and he wrote uh, uh, some really phenomenal and brilliant books explaining faith. And he has this term called chronological snobbery. It's like he's English, so that chronological snobbery. But what that speaks to is this idea that we think we've somehow learned more than previous generations. I am so much smarter than everyone else who ever came before in the history of humanity. I have figured it out. Like this ultimate pride and arrogance. And the problem is when it comes to truth and when it comes to learning, oftentimes it's rediscovery. Oftentimes it's looking back. We see this constantly in the church and in the world, that there are things that you go, someone will come out and go, we found this brand new thing. No one's ever seen before. And then a Christian's like, yeah, Jesus said that 2,000 years ago. And they're like, huh, that's interesting. Or or as the church, we go, we've discovered this new thing. It's it's called silence and solitude or Sabbath. And you go, yeah, the church has been doing that for thousands of years. We rediscover that truth. And we never want to have this arrogance, this chronological snobbery that we go, I have figured it out. I'm so advanced. I am progressing into perfection and evolutionary. Just I am becoming the ultimate version of humanity because that's not actually true. In fact, all the research says that that in fact is not true and that's outside of the church. We, we don't want to look at that. We want to look at passages like this and go, what does it mean? What is Jesus trying to say? Why, why is Luke recording it like this? He says in verse 3, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. I I do want to be clear, because some of us are overachievers, and some of us hear some of this and go like, okay, pressure's on. I am not saying you need to give everything that you have. Like, if God is saying that to you, then listen to God, but make sure it's God. I am not saying you need to be like the widow and go, okay, I need to empty my bank account and I need to have, go into debt and make sure that all my money is given. What I do want to point out is that Jesus is challenging us and he's confronting perception versus reality, how we perceive things versus how things really are. I see how powerful it is, this perception versus reality with us. How we look at other people and we see something that we want to see and yet look at ourselves and see something different. The reality is, as Christians, as Jesus followers, we need to pay careful attention to who we are when no one's looking. 
Like we need to really make sure that we're not, we're not those people that are saying one thing and living like it isn't true. That, that we aren't saying God is important in our lives and central in our lives and not living like that is true in an ongoing basis. We're, we're living in, a, in an environment where increasingly those gaps between who people appear to be and who they really are is exposing cracks. Like we see this, and it's not just in the church. We see leaders who you think are this paragon of holiness or faithfulness, and then you realize, wow, they are a mess. And they had opportunities to speak on these massive platforms and be celebrated, and yet who they were wasn't who they appeared to be. And it's so important for us not to look at other people or leaders and go, wow, I can't believe it. It's really important for us to look at ourselves and go, is that true of me? Is that true of me? Like, are people actually experiencing me as, as I really am when no one is looking? Or am I trying to appear a certain way and that gap between who I am and who others think I am continues to grow? And it will kill us and it will harm people. What we are consistently learning is that what is inside of us matters so much more than what is on the outside. And that's not about appearance. That's not somehow this this sense of going, well, who cares about what you look like? This is about going, the things that make you who you are are so important that you can't hide them even if you think you can. The stuff that lives on the inside of you, it will come out. It will show out. Your heart will be on display. And as Christians, we have to fight Fight hard to ensure that the disconnect is smaller and smaller and smaller between who we want to be and who we are, who other people think we are and who we are, and make sure that we're closing that gap consistently over time. And one of the problems that we have as as just humans is we have this tendency to hold people to a different standard than we hold ourselves to. Like, we look at people and we're like, I can't believe it. They are the worst. And we're like, I'm growing. I'm learning. I need grace. <laughs> they need condemnation. I need grace from the Lord Jesus. Like, right? And we don't want to admit that, but it's true. Like, we hold people to a different standard. And I, I even think about that when it comes to just generosity around us. I, I don't know if it's just me, but I've been in conversations where, where we're looking at some celebrity or high-powered person who gave a whole bunch of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars, And you play the game when you're around each other. You're like, well, you know, in terms of percentages, that's not even that much of their money. They're like, that's like $100. They basically gave $100. And we're like, well, who cares? But you know what the problem is? We don't even give $100. And we're like, well, they give that money and look at them. And we're like, I'm going to sit over here and feel self-righteous, but also not be generous. There's a disconnect between how we hold other people and how we hold ourselves. See, it's a problem certainly in the context of the church. One of the problems is I was, I was, I was doing some research on stats and, and in North America, almost 40% of people inside of the church who would call themselves Christians, so faithful Christians that are consistent, almost 40% don't give anything to the church. Nothing. So it's easy for us to look at everyone else and go like, oh, I can't believe they just did it for press. And we go, so Jesus says to give, nah, I'm not going to do that. 40%, almost half, significant percentage for those of us who would call ourselves Christians. 
And I want to be really, really crystal clear, because I know even when you're talking about money, that, that there can be all sorts of narratives that you think. This is not meant to be a condemnation to anyone. It's not meant to be directed at anyone. The truth is, even at Collective, I do not know what people give. That's on purpose. I don't know what people give. I don't want to know what people give. That's between you and God. But I am responsible to to show you what God is saying to us and to hold us to a higher standard, to challenge us, not to condemn, but to challenge us to continue to grow as disciples of Jesus, as followers of the way, as apprentices of the way of Jesus. I want to challenge all of us to live our lives in a way that God asks us to. There is a challenge because the way of Jesus is a way of life that is generous. That who we are meant to be as Jesus followers is generous people reflecting the generosity of our creator who sent his son to die for us and give his whole life for us and we get to give back a a percentage of what we've been given. One of the other stats that I read is that 75 to 90% of Christians in a church don't tithe. And so tithing, like I said before, is giving 10%. And for those who do tithe, 77% of them give above 10%. Okay, so it's not generosity is not equal amount, but equal sacrifice. And what we see in churches as a whole is that, that there's a group of people that are shouldering most of the load that are going, we want to be generous, and they go and they give above and beyond, but 75 to 90% of people go, nah. And there's a disconnect. And I want to let you know that this is not a principle in terms of, hey, the church really needs money. We don't. We're actually in a really strong position. We're in a strong position as the church, and I have been so grateful over time and how I've seen God consistently take care of us. This is instead a discipleship issue for all of us. It's not about what we want from you, ever. It is always about what we want for you. We want you to live the kind of life that God is asking you to live in every single area, including your money. Jesus talks about money a ton. Even if you look at Luke, there have been multiple times I've skipped it over because he hits it a lot because it's important and it indicates where our heart is and what we believe in. In this story, we see rich people and we see the widow. And I don't know what it's like for you, but um, if, you to, if you're to put yourself in the story, depending on your bank account and what the balance is right now, you might put yourself in one of the other categories. Like you might look at your bank account and go, I'm the widow because I don't know how that Netflix payment is going to come out because I'm struggling right now, right? And sometimes for those of us, if we're not careful, is we live in that place of this this sense of I am so impoverished and I'm not the rich person, I am the widow. So let me just redefine our view of rich. I was looking at a a website, I think, uh, I don't know if it was Bloomberg or what, it was looking at global salaries. Where do we rank globally? If you make $35,000 a year Canadian, you are in the top, you're in the 95th percentile globally. So top 5% if you make $35,000 a year. Top 5% of the entire world. Do you know what that makes us? The rich people. 
We don't look and go, we're like the widow who's just scraping together. We're the rich person. We're the people that are coming that are going, I am so beyond rich. There, there's a research firm that, that said if every Christian tithed 10%, religious organizations would have a, another $139 billion available for ministry each year. $139 billion available for ministry each year, for local churches, for parachurch ministries, for all sorts of different organizations. But I think about how it, it's even more than that. Like the truth is that there would be things that we wouldn't need, institutional programs that we would not need if Christians were generous like we're supposed to be. You know, in the early church, the, the Romans, they noticed some need and they watched the, the church and the church was so generous that they just took care of everything. And the Romans saw it and they're like, we're really jealous because they seem to be getting a lot of attention for the good they're doing. And they're like, we're going to put together our own program. We're going to take care of things. It folded almost instantly. Because Christians were giving because they're going, I want to be generous because of what God has asked me to be. The other group of people were just trying to help people because they were told that's what they're supposed to do. There's this powerful impact for those of us who are Christians when we live our lives as generous people reflecting the, reflecting the generosity of our creator. If we were all generous, like God asks us to be, we would not need government programs. We would take care of the widows and the orphans, just like we're asked to do. And I want to remind you, it is not about equal amount. It is about equal sacrifice, all of us sacrificing together. This is why even as a church, we don't just say, hey, you should do this. You should tithe. We tithe as a church. We allocate more than 10% of our, the income that comes in to giving out. Most of that goes to church planting, but last year we got to give to some parachurch organizations locally, nationally, and internationally. We get to give. We get to model what that looks like. We're not just saying that tithing is a good idea. We live it out. Even for us personally, for Lee and I, it's important to us. But I would be lying if I told you that that was just a simple thing that one day I was like, oh yeah, it's easy. I'll just, I, from day one, I haven't always been someone who tithes. There have been times that I've been, it's been really, really difficult. And I remember being the king of making excuses for myself. Well, you know, I'm, I'm saving for school so I don't have much money or I'm in school so I'm really struggling or, you know, I just don't have that much. I have expenses and I can't really do it or I'm, I'm giving so much to the church and I'm giving my time. I can't really, I don't really need to give the money. I, I try to tell myself of every single excuse and convince myself of it. The problem is that God continually challenged me. God continually went, that, that's not what I asked you to do. That's not what I'm asking you to do. And then I even had times, I'll be fully honest, where I was like, maybe the, the tithing thing isn't even like a biblical New Testament thing. So then I went on a journey of reading and going, okay, I see in the Old Testament, and then I see Jesus saying it. And I was like, shoot, I think I was wrong. And going, no, he's saying tithing is something that we are supposed to do. And so it's been a journey for me. And then when Lee and I got married, I remember us talking. Lee didn't grow up in the church. And so in my family, it's like, yeah, you give 10%. That's what you do. And I still struggled with it and then got to the point where I'm like, that's what you do because God's asking me to do it. And then Lee and I got married and I was like, hey, uh, one of the things we need to do as a family is give 10%. And she's like, what? That's a lot of money. 
like, do you know what 10% represents? I'm like, yeah, it's 10%. It's, it's a sacrifice. And over time, we made the commitment as a, as a family to go, we are going to do this even though it was hard and we had to rearrange some things. We had, to, we had to budget and change some of our budget in order to do it. We committed to giving 10%. And the truth is that God has continually showed us as a family that he can do far more with 90% than we can do with 100 let me just tell you a quick story on where that happened. When we moved out to Calgary, do you remember what year it was? It's like a blur. We moved out to Calgary, and uh, I was working as a graphic designer, and I was sensing the call to ministry, and I'd been doing some, but feeling like I needed to do it, and so I had this church in Calgary that offered me a job and was going to help pay for school. I was like, this is amazing. So I can work at the church and get my master's degree at the same time, move across the country. They sent me the, the, the job offer, and I looked at the salary, and I was like, I hope, is this an error? Because they're like, your salary for the first year is going to be $15,000. And I was like, okay. Our, our rent was going from $600 in London to $1,500 in Calgary, we were moving across the country, and I had no idea how all that was going to work out. Both of us were going, how's this? Like, the math does not add up. Like, just so you know, $1,500, like $1,000 a month. After tax, it was like, it was, it was not, it was tough. And yet, we had committed. We are going to give God 10% no matter what. And you know what's amazing in that? He consistently took care of us. And there were even moments that were like, how's this all going to work out? Like one, we had a vehicle that was there. And some things went sideways. It was a Volkswagen. And if you've had a Volkswagen, one thing goes wrong and then everything goes wrong. And so it was like that car, it was very clear to us. It was a money pit. And we're panicking, right? We were like, we don't have money. Like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to handle this? And no joke, get a phone call at the church. And a lady goes, hey, I have a free car. Does anyone need it? And they're like, yeah, let me just grab, get, let me grab Tyler. And, and like that car was a piece of junk, but, <laughs> but, that car, but that car gave us, it bought us time. And it was good for us, and it cost us almost nothing. And it was that continual reminder that even when we're looking and we're saying, I don't have enough, I don't know what I'm doing, and we trust God that God is faithful to come through. He continues to provide for us when we put him first, when we align our priorities with what he says. And the beautiful thing about all of that is it does not somehow elevate anyone. It's not like you go, oh, Lee and I are just so spiritual and, and so above. No, it's this sense of going, I just, I want us all to live like God asks us to live, to live in obedience to what he's asking us to live, and then watch what God can do. When we actually trust him, when we actually see him show up in ways that we would not have seen in other ways. Now, one of the parts that I think bears repeating that I, I noted, that I spoke about a few weeks ago, that I also want to make sure I say is, we don't want you to tithe if you aren't budgeting. Like, we'd really love for you to start with the budget. Because if you just live the way that you're currently living and chop 10% off and then you get to the end of the week and you're like, I guess I'm not eating for the weekend. We don't want that. 
Okay, we don't want generosity at the expense of the strength of families and people. We want you to get strong and be generous. We want your finances to be strong. And so we actually had a, a co-group that launched last, uh, the last time that we had co-groups that worked on a book that actually helped people to budget. We had people on our team that would love to help you figure out a budget and go, okay, it might mean you have to cut some things. It might mean that you have to rearrange some things to put God at the center. But, but to be strong with your income and your, and your finances so that you're able to be generous. Our finances are a key area of our discipleship. And the truth is, as a church, we want to help you grow in that area. We, we are committed to walking with you in it, not just saying, hey, figure it out on your own, but doing it together. And, and I know the lie that we tell ourselves, and, and, I, and I've believed this lie before, if I just had more, then I'd give. If I just had more, then I'd give. The problem is that the greatest indicator of future is the past. And so if you're going, if I had more than I would give, but you've never given, the truth is you probably won't. This is why God talks about being faithful with small things. And when we're faithful with small things, that he, he actually gives us more. That he, he entrusts us what we have and he watches to see how we handle it. And then he is willing to give us more as we have shown ourselves to be faithful. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. If we're unwilling to give a percentage of what we have, whether it seems small to us or significant to us now, why would God entrust us with more? So what do we do with this? What's the action steps for us? One of the things that I think we can look at with the, the widow that I think is an important action step is for many of us, it's just starting small. Remember, it's not, it's not equal amount, it's equal sacrifice. This woman came with a penny. Maybe for some of us, it's just beginning with a tiny amount. And I want you to know, like in your mind, you're thinking this is so small, but, it, but it's an act of courage and obedience. And God sees that. He sees your heart as you're going, I, I want to I just begin. I want to begin to give. I want to begin to give faithfully and consistently to God through his church. Maybe for you, it's beginning to start small. Maybe it's, it's beginning to stay consistent. Maybe you give every once in a while, but it's actually consistently giving over time. I, I was reading something and it was saying our life is measured by what we give and what has our heart not by the surplus of what we keep? See, maybe, you're, maybe you go, I give occasionally, but I'm not currently tithing. I haven't embraced that as something that's a part of my life, as a spiritual discipline. And maybe, maybe for you, it's just it's working toward that. Okay, what does it look like each year to just increase the percentage that I give and trust God with and watch what he does? And over time, you find yourself not even just at 10%, but even above 10% where you're seeing this is what it looks like to live as a generous follower of the way of Jesus. Maybe you need to rearrange your budget and trust God with your money. Maybe you already are tithing. Like maybe you're giving sacrificially and generously, and I, I want to, as many times as I can, tell you how much we appreciate that. But I want you to know that more than anything, God sees you. He sees what you sacrifice. He sees what you give. He sees how you trust him. Keep leaning in and trusting him as he guides you with your finances. I, I can tell you from experience, it's a better way of living. 
that he continues. There have been times that God asks us to give more or lays on our heart, give to this or give to this person. We have stories in our church of people that have need and somehow God speaks to someone else and they're like, hey, here's a check or here's some money. And that other person that's looking for something that needs God to show up is able to celebrate and look at God. This is the church being the church. This, this is what it means to be Christians that are generous. This is what it, even the beauty of, of budgeting. Like as a church, we budget for less than we got so that we have margin. We want to be people that have margin. So when opportunities present themselves, we're not going like, oh, I wish I could support someone. We get to do it. Like we got to give money to a missionary in Ukraine because we had margin. We want that for each one of us. And so my question, as it often is, is what is God asking you to do? What is God saying to you? What is he whispering to you? What is he challenging you with? What is he drawing you into? I want to encourage us as a church, as we follow the way of Jesus, to get our internal life in order, to set our priorities in order. And money is a component of that. We set our money in order. Jesus says that where our money is, it represents where our heart is. And we want our hearts to be aligned with what God is asking of us. And the truth is, our propensity for self-deception is high. Like we go like, well, you know, um, I don't think I can give God any money as we're on our way to buy some more clothes or to pay for the seventh streaming subscription we have Right? Like, and I notice it in my own life where I can make all sorts of excuses and lie to myself and go like, does God really want that of me? Because, you know, I might have to not eat steak this week. Like, there's things in our life that we can, we can deceive ourselves. And part of the role and responsibility as the church, and for me even as one of the pastors, is to speak truth and life into who we are and, and where God is inviting us to go and then entrust that the Holy Spirit is at work in each one of us. Like there's a, a catalytic thing that I get to go, okay, I, I want us to live generously. You know, I, I just have this, this dream for us as a church that we are known in our community for our generosity. Like that it doesn't even make sense based on our size and our makeup that we can be so exceedingly generous. Like, one of the things when it comes to the church is God has given, for Lee and I and the team, significant vision for the future of the church. And the beautiful part is, we as the church with our giving get to set the speed with which that happens. And so, if we want to go in different directions and do certain things, we get to set that. As we are exceedingly generous, we can accelerate what God wants to do through us and in us. And so, my invitation is always to saying, God, I want you to be priority with my giving. I want you to be at the forefront. And I want to remind you that when it comes to generosity, it is not equal amount, it is equal sacrifice. Even if in your mind you're going, it's small and it's insignificant, I want you know, to know it is not small and it is not insignificant. God sees you just like he saw the widow. He sees you. He sees your circumstance and he's calling you forward. Pre-pandemic, we used to have envelopes on the seats. We used to, we used to um, actually have buckets that we'd pass. Now we can't do that. And, and there were elements of that that I'm like, whatever, it's just a thing that we do. But one part that I, 
that I missed that I, I enjoyed was the times that we could pray over our finances and our gifts, our tithes, our offerings. And so I want to, we're going we're gonna to worship, but I, I want to I do that because even if, even if you send with your, uh, even if you send with an e-transfer or if you set up recurring giving with your card or you give online or you're old school and you rock a check or cash, um, that we, when we pray for our finances, that God hears us. And so I want to take a moment and I want to pray for our finances, for our generosity, and I want to pray for financial miracles. I want to invite you to stand up. And I, I want to maybe even just encourage you to, to close your eyes and to have a posture. Even put your hands out. It's the, the receiving of a gift or even giving a gift. And put your hands out and I want to pray for us. God, you invite us to be generous because you were generous. God, you gave everything, bankrupted heaven for us to know that you love us. God, we get to give back to you. Our giving is an act of worship where we set our focus on what matters. God, I pray that you would unlock generosity in each one of us, that you would do what only you can do and do exceedingly, abundantly more with our finances than we might ask for or imagine. God, I pray for miracles. I pray that we would be the kind of church and individuals in this church that could meet other people's needs. As we find widows and orphans in our environment or in our city, that we can do something about it. God, would our lives just reflect your goodness and your generosity? Would people know us as the church, not just as a church, but instead as a church that is radical in its generosity? God, for each one of us, give us the gift of what it looks like to truly trust you with our money. God, speak truth to us where we believe lies. God, for those of us that are in the room that are faithful in giving, God, you're proud of each one of them. I pray that you would never allow us to rest on our laurels and to simply stay where we are, but continually ask, God, what are you leading me into? God, as we worship, and after worship, we give. God, we do all of it, laying it all at your feet. We love you. We trust you. And most importantly, we need you in every single area of our lives. God, have your way. We pray all these things in your name. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.